0: Hey, everyone, we have a Facebook and an Instagram for the Amriki's podcast.
1: Podcast!
0: Yes. Oh, indi- sorry, it, that was weird. How, see, that's how it sounds like when you say it. <laughs> if you don't mind liking us on both of those things, commenting, liking, subscribing, all that good stuff. It would be really appreciated because, you know, we got to get the algorithms to say we're great. Yes, indeed. At least at a minimum. Give us five stars. Five stars on Apple Podcasts or any other platform would also be great. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
2: The spirit, the Ramadan, or the Tarawih, all that stuff this is great, but like, I just want to feel that connection with my Lord, and not to really, that's what I want. <laughs>
1: And
0: we are back with another episode of the Ramadan mini-series as part of the Ambriki's podcast. We have with us our guest Amal Al-Qasir. Al-Qasir, is it? Do you guys do Al or is it just by itself?
2: We are Al-Qasir, but in English, on my passport, it's just I'm Al-Qasir.
0: And I'm sure that makes a lot of complications, whether it be here or in Syria. It's like, is it Al, is it not? I actually yeah. had to go to the court in Palestine and remove the Al as part of my last name um, because it it was a problem. Like, they needed to make sure I was the right person. Did, yeah. <laughs> did you have
2: it's a- it? with surya um to, for some of my family members to go in there for their safety and their security um they'll just use without the end Right. And somehow this level of you know
0: and you, not- can, you so you can get lost in the system instead of having those red exactly. flags come up oh uh, that's a whole that's a whole different you know subject that we can talk <laughs> about another day um but amal is a an artist a writer a poet um somebody who I just recently met, um, so I, a new friend perhaps, um, and uh, somebody who was also gracious enough to agree to come on this podcast. So I really appreciate your time with me here today.
2: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. Um, so I told you a little bit about what we're doing here and about how Ramadan is just a cultural phenomena, a phenomenon Phenomenon, that's the right one. You're the wordsmith, you tell me. Phenomenon is plural, <laughs> phenomenon is. I, I got it, yes. Um, like worldwide. So, and I'm just curious about how different people experience it, how, what people really, really think about Ramadan on the, the nitty gritty, which people usually don't want to talk about or hear about. But I'm really, really interested to hear. So, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, just that little spiel about who you are and and where you come from, just for our listeners to know a little bit about you.
2: Yeah, my name is Amal. My name means hope in Arabic. And yeah. I'm born to a Syrian father and a white mother of German descent. She converted when she was 15 years old. Wow. And yeah. So I always say I come from meatloaf and hummus on the same Ramadan table. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, in every sense of the cultural uh, like reality
0: okay no so wow that that would that would be a really great Ramadan table for sure and every night so I have an Arab mom and uh, I'm not sure how it is for somebody who doesn't have an Arab mom during Ramadan because I'm used to my mom being like super, super busy in the kitchen my whole life, whether it be preparing the suhoor, you know, the yeah. the, the pre-fasting meal or the iftar, the actual fast-breaking meal. Um, how, how was it with your mom growing up? Just curious.
2: It wasn't as like chaotic. Like I remember in Syria how like the whole entire experience for a lot of women was in the kitchen yeah you know, my mom has done a fantastic job of navigating you know she she upheld the the whole out of expectation of having a feast on the table every night um but she made sure to make time for her own spiritual connections good you know, Leave you that could really leave you drained and guilty, especially those last ten nights.
0: I have to tell you, uh, my guilt during Ramadan goes up significantly. I have been in the bled I've been in Palestine during Ramadan, and I've seen like what happens like in the aftermath of the fast. A lot of the men retire to just sit down and eat sweets and smoke their their cigarettes um, while all the women are like cleaning up and like i always felt like really really guilty and i thought that perhaps like being in the us it would be different but because my mom grew up in that environment it it kind of translated that way here and i've mm-hmm. i've tried throughout the years to put away the the plates and you know everything and clean and dishwash and all of that but i i don't know i I, I feel like I've definitely had some shortcomings there, like those gender roles remained. Um, so I have that guilt every single Ramadan. But my mom takes it upon herself to be like, this is my duty. I need to do this. You know. Um, have you seen any sort of gender role issues like during your Ramadan experiences growing up?
2: Definitely, and I, I've seen. I, I have the guilt as well as as a an auto woman who I feel is failing in the gender role.
0: Oh, you know? okay, yeah, the, the other side They're of not,
2: it. Exactly. We're after after like a meal, like I'm. I'm not trying to do all these dishes right away. You know what I'm saying. I'm trying to let go, chill out a little bit. You know, and uh, and then there's this guilt and this weight on my mind in the sink on the countertops, and it's uh, it really really affects the. I don't know it it when you when you've got that guilt and you've got that shame, you're going to despair. You're not going to be uplifted in any way, right? Um, so I definitely felt that, um, and I I think. I I wish I had the energy that these Arab women do, and it's it reminds me of like the story, you know, like the story where that that woman during the time of the prophet, you know, she had like this empty pot and it was like just a little bit of rice in there, and the prophet's like feed this army. She's like, how am I going to do it? And it just multiplies every time they come to fill the plate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is the magic of Arab mothers, you know, mm-hmm. and really mothers all over the world. I'm married to a Pakistani guy, and uh, his mom, same thing, same magic.
1: Mm-hmm. You know?
2: So I've yet to conquer that kind of magic in my own world
1: Dad, so. i
0: mean you said you said a magic word about guilt and shame, and I think that's like definitely part of our arab yeah. and, and Muslim upbringing um whether or not we wanted it or not um and you're talking about you know shame and, and like in regards to how it comes up during Ramadan um but i'm 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 just curious overall like within. Like, for me, shame during Ramadan has always existed in in how much I'm able to to practice the things that I need to practice during Ramadan. So the prayer, the reading Quran. Um, there's been a lot of shame around just like watching TV, listening to music, growing up. Um, and it's, be, I mean, I lived in a very conservative city in, in Palestine, Khalil, and it's just, everybody is just, trying to you know play the role that is necessary to show that they are like religious people even if they may or may not actually show that religiosity outside of ramadan but there's just so much pressure to to do all of these things to do the tarawih the the prayers the extended prayers after the fast is done and and i'm like so the the shame and like that normally exists in our community (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> intensifies during Ramadan which totally impedes on the whole like spiritual growth have you experienced anything like that
2: oh 100 <laughs> um, percent. oh my god
0: it's like it's like i'm, I'm asking you is, is water wet you know it's like
2: yeah and especially you know the social media this, it doesn't help you know, when you see people taking pictures of their Quran every day and be like, all right, I'm like nine the away through. It's like the fourth day and I'm like, my, I'm like barely like a third of the way through, jizama, you know what I'm saying? And like, it just, it, you feel like you're failing. You feel like you're constantly failing and you're, you're surrounded by all of this, this success, it seems like. And obviously grass is always going to look greener from where you're standing. But I think uh, the, the shame of the fatigue And the shame of the mental health as well. That's a huge one. Where you know, I have friends who cannot. I have I have friends who have like, they have like uh, like body dysmorphic disorders. Mm. They have disorders. They have things that make it so that if they fast, there becomes this like addiction to the starvation, Mm. and it's not. And there's shame with that. There's shame when you're depressed and you can't move and you're fatigued. And I've been through that where I'm like, I am failing Ramadan. I am failing it. I cannot even get out of bed. I don't have the energy. And that's, that's one of the worst ones, you know. It's like you don't even turn to your Lord because of how much you are despairing in that failure. And it's, it's tough.
0: what you're talking about rings very, very true and familiar to me. Um, I did not look forward to Ramadan and I've said this many times, um, during this, this mini series, maybe I didn't actually, but I, I rarely looked forward to Ramadan. I don't even know how I feel about this upcoming Ramadan, uh, right now. I know that things are going to get like messed up. Um, I, I, I do think about you know people who suffer from anorexia and other like eating disorders uh, during this time. Um, I think about people who like myself, you know, uh, suffer from anxiety and depression, and the way I'm going to be able to deal with that, you know, going into this. Um, but you brought up like a lot of good points. Do you look forward to Ramadan generally? Like just between you and I, there's nobody here. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> um there's I mean you're talking about social media and right now all I see in social media is people are kind of like really really excited about Ramadan and, and I get that like um somebody who gets excited sometimes about Ramadan but generally I'm just kind of like <sighs> a week from now yeah. you know it's gonna be tough
1: yeah
2: especially like yeah man like I don't even think I made up all my fasting days. You know, my love, forgive me. That's a huge stressor. Oh, my gosh. And there's also, like, I'm going to bring in the dynamic of being a woman. Sure. Missing, your, having, getting on your period and missing those days. And it always comes the last 10 days for me, you know. And that is, yeah, Allah, it is hard, man. You almost feel like, I don't want to say cheated, but you almost feel, like, punished. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's super difficult. But overall, this Ramadan in particular, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, my I'm about to be 26 in 60 days exactly.
1: Mashallah. I'm keeping
2: track of like a four-year-old. <laughs> I'm best many years old. Um, but I uh, it was a tough year. And last Ramadan was dark for me. Wow. It was dark. And I, I have spent this year growing as much as I could. I mean, I have put every part of my life into growing. And I I am so I I have a lot of fear. Fear, I think, is the word of my the, the 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 word that that hurts me the most. It's the so courage is the word that, you know, they say is my compass. It's the thing that guides me and defines me. But for your guiding word, the opposite is the thing that's going to hurt you and bring you down. There's a lot of fear. But I just, all I want is my time alone with God, where I feel Him. Mm-hmm. You know, the spirit, the Ramadan, or the tarweeh, all that stuff this is great. But like, I just want to feel that connection with my Lord, and that's really—that's what I want. That 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 intimacy. That I think all these years I've been, I've been getting so down on myself for because I didn't read the whole Quran, or I, or I slacked this day. But like, talking to God. I think if I work hard at it, I think I can do it, you know? So I'm hopeful and fearful at the same time. And, um, oh, and I decided to like go, uh, vegetable based diet as well. No animal products. I thought
0: it's like, like during Ramadan, you mean, or, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I,
0: (laughs) I, I know that's there's so much there that that you you talked about um something that comes up for me a lot of the times is how much i wish that they taught us how to have mindfulness during the fasting instead mm. of focusing on you know the mechanics and the framework and the skeleton of the religion like i wanted more meat and for me i had to and i've said this to on the on the mini series i think a few times i wanted I I learned about mindfulness and mindfulness practice through like Buddhist traditions yeah. and it's I was amazing. able to incorporate it into my prayer. Um and but in just in terms of mindfulness, in terms of actually feeling it, it that's something that that I have not been able to achieve, you know, and it's not meant to be achieved. It's a process. That's what they ta- teach us. Teach us and staying with the breath, like in that Buddhist tradition that I, I've I've been to many many like meditation circles and sessions, and just to sit there and to think. Um, it reminds me of just like you know, dua and tasbih and you know, and just like that kind of uh, environment. Um, But they didn't they didn't teach us and I think uh, this is the problem for me during Ramadan is that there was so much emphasis on getting things right that there was no Mm. room for us to just like experience things in that way. I'm sorry to hear that things were so dark for you last year, but um, it sounds like there was also moments of growth. Um, There was a very difficult Ramadan for myself um, a few years ago. I had just ended a like formal relationship And it was a very, very ugly situation, a very ugly story. And I was left alone in Pittsburgh. I was in Pittsburgh at the time during Ramadan with no family and no um, community. And I felt super, super alone. And on top of all that, it was Ramadan, you know? And it was, that was for me, one of the darkest Ramadans and something that I just couldn't really manage and couldn't really, I just did not feel good about. I, on the other hand, like last year, and I'm not, I don't want to compare or anything like that, but last year I actually had a really great Ramadan, even with all everything that was happening, because I felt that in that moment, especially with COVID, like doing its thing, I was able to just like let go, just let go. Like I have no control over this. I threw a tantrum in the beginning. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> wear the mask. I don't want to, you know, uh, all that. But at some point I sat down and I'm like, let go and it just so happened that Ramadan was coming and it's like there was no no place to go. And I think had I been in a different place uh, from a mental health perspective, not having any place to go, not having any place to escape, not having any place would have been very, very rattling. So I do appreciate and I'm very, very empathetic to a struggle like the one you're talking about where it was very, very dark, you know?
2: Yeah, and I I am one who I really feel like my pain and my sadness and my darkness is very sacred and I I have found God only in these times Mm -hmm. only you know in in my lowest lowest point so as difficult as it is you know I I feel like I've had a I've had a very healthy relationship with my trauma and my my wars and my demons. <laughs> I I've made friends with my demons. They're not always welcome, and they'll they'll come anyways. But um, I think without the darkness of last Ramadan, how could I have grown? How could I have how could I have figured out how to improve my gardening practices? And you know, I think it's. Are very there important.
0: are those figurative yeah. gardening practices or like actual gardening <laughs> no. practices?
2: I started gardening very recently. Okay. Um, but as I've been gardening, no, it's um, how are you taking care of your soul? I mean, man, I was weeding for two hours straight uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, it's this like community garden in this like poor part of town in Houston. And there's different types of weeds. There are weeds that there are like thousands of them, but they're so easy to pick out, right? Like little bad habits that are so easy to pick out. Then there are weeds that like get stuck in there and you have to pull, but gently and very, very like, like powerfully, you know, there, there's so many different kinds of weeds when you weed your bed and you do self-reflection and growth and, um, yeah I think I learned a lot about those different dynamics with my own my own yeah. stints and all of that yeah.
0: yeah I can see how like weeds would definitely be a good um a good practice to like taking weeds out would be a good practice to uh like to purify the soul
2: <laughs> yeah straight up. there's the woman who was, who was weeding the garden but next to me her name is rose. Was a a Christian woman named Rose next to me said, uh, "She's like, you know, when I sit here." She was like, probably in her sixties, maybe seventies. She's like, every time I sit here, I just imagine plucking out the negative in my life, just plucking it out. I was like, "Damn, Rose, you belong in the garden, sister."
0: (laughs) No, I hear you. (laughs) Um, I do want to go back to just the point that you mentioned earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. This has actually gone, this has gone better than I expected. But usually what I do is I ask about childhood. I told you like uh, childhood and just kind of move forward. But we actually have a pretty good flow going here. So most of the people I've interviewed so far have been men. And I think for myself going through Ramadan, I don't have the experience of having a period and what, and, you know, things that, are involved in that, whether it be the, the hiding, especially in the family situation, or just overall, like, maybe a disconnection. Um, I do want you to, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about that. I'm curious, um, you know, you say that, like, it, it comes to you at the last, at the end of Ramadan, and so, like, those are the most, like, probably sa- most sacred days. Yeah. Uh, does it, Remove you from feeling that community feeling like one like what are the effects? And I'm I'm trying to learn myself yeah. As a man who does not experience this and has lived in a family where women have Have hidden it yeah. You know, and so I just don't know I've had to like ask, you know Different people different friends women that I've been talking to you know about this and I just don't know
1: I
2: I want to reference a period of time in my life, pun intended. (laughs)
1: Uh,
2: A few years ago, probably maybe 21 years old. um, And what I would do is uh, I was, I was working on a book of poetry and I, my whole thing was I would take my laptop charged. I would drive my car out to the mountains and I would get, you know, big cup of Starbucks and I would just, be out there for hours and hours in my office which was like my beat up Nissan Versa and I just chill in the mountains and write and uh, I remember I did that once during Ramadan period started and I had you know um, my whole week and I I would go out and you know, it was so, it was very alienating. It really was. It was just weird because you're not with it. You're not with the people. You're not with your brothers. You're not with anybody that you know. And you're out in the mountains doing your own thing. And I I would straight up, like, I would listen to, like, really sad nasheeds. I would listen to lectures about the year of sadness. And I I really, really depended on some of these lectures like specifically the Sira of Jibril. I want to talk about that for a second.
1: Sure. And,
2: um, there, was this, there was this time, and I, I feel like I've mentioned this in so many different talks the last few years, but with the topic of mental health so prominent, I remember it was during Ramadan, on my period, in the mountains, alone, disconnected, even you know, my cell phone had no reception. Um, but I had this lecture about the Sira of Jibril, and he talked about the year of sadness. And I remember, like, in the midst of Ramadan, hearing this. And I went to private Islamic school growing up here in, in, in Colorado. I was a Muslim kid. I, my family was pretty conservative, you know. We, we knew our stuff. We heard the story of, of uh, uh, Safa and Marwa. You know, we, we heard all the little stories when we grew up. But I'm sitting there listening to this the sheikh talk about this thing called the year of sadness, the year of sorrow. And I'm alone and I feel the, the disconnect and I feel the alienation. And I started to weep when I heard about this. I was like, you're telling me that all this time I've been a Muslim, all these years I've been a Muslim and this is the first time I'm hearing about the fact that my prophet had a year, a whole year of sadness. Ya Allah, it struck me. And I, I was like, why didn't they tell me? And I kept listening to this lecture. And they were talking about like how the angel's feet are the color green and how there's like diamonds and emeralds encrusting Jibril's wings. And this is in like, صحيح. this is like academically sound information. And I I was like, I had more of a spiritual connection in the midst of my alienation during my period, this one Ramadan Um and i think anything else and the community element is so important but i realized that year like the value of the isolation and how we should not as women cheat ourselves out of the spiritual experience just because we can't fast and pray
1: hmm. we can't
2: ourselves, you know, this if we're gonna feel sad, embrace and indulge in that sadness and feel it and let it wash over you so you can make this do with it, you know, and and just I don't know, it, it was such an interesting time because you know it's weird. I felt disconnected from my community, but I did not feel disconnected from my God. And there's there's this distinction you made earlier. Um and it was like The bones versus the meat. I've always seen it. Religion (laughs) and faith are two different things. Religion is of the limbs, of the tongue, of the hands, but faith is of the heart. Mm. And our our heart does not need to be neglected as women, and and we are almost like convinced that it does just because we can't pray, but that doesn't make sense that like God's hooking us up with like a mad break. You get to be caffeinated while you're worshiping throughout, <laughs> throughout this like period session, you know?
1: Yeah. So that's
2: a little story about that.
0: As you're telling your story, like you started, like um, there's a lot of movement. And so I could hear all this like rumbling and I didn't, but, but I didn't want to stop you because you were like, so like, you know, into it, but it also sounded like it was like thunder and, you know, like, like, as you're talking about it, it was like, things were moving, you know, and it's like, ah, you know, That
2: so, thunder is the feet of, I have a four-year-old sister and a five-year-old brother. You have a four-year-old and, sister
0: yes. and a five-year-old brother? Teeny
2: <laughs> little babies. Yeah, man. <laughs> still got it in them after all these years, I'm going to tell you. <laughs>
0: But I but I didn't want to stop you. so um, no, that's 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 really, really powerful. And again, like, I just have been so absent from this world. All I knew is that women don't pray when they're on their periods and they don't fast. but it's like I never saw my mom take a break. I never saw my mom eating during Ramadan um and i think that kind of shame like translated later on to my sister so i never saw her actually the first time i ever was able to talk to them about you know this in general was like much much later when we were adults and there wasn't really like an established um you know education or anything like that I think it's it's like there's a stereotype that men are just like disgusted by this and like they don't want to talk about it. And I think it is an aspect of toxic toxic masculinity and it's an aspect of like not like probably like an issue of maturity as well to not yeah. to not approach these things. Um and I've had to go through that like in my early, early twenties, but later, like by now, it's like let's I let's talk about this. It's fine, you know.
2: I was I was in New York once and uh I was traveling, and I was on my period, and it was like the second day of Ramadan or something. And uh, I, I think I got like a coke from McDonald's or something. And this random uncle is like, "Why are you drinking? It's Ramadan. You should be fasting." Wow! And like, so strange, bro. But I didn't even. And I was like, there seems to be many conversations for me to have with this individual. I don't even know where to start. It was so weird. I wasn't even offended. I was just like, gross. Like, Mm. don't you have a mother or sisters first off? And it was weird. Yeah. Uh,
0: (laughs) But that's what I'm saying, is that like a lot of this is not talked about. (laughs) Like, homeboy probably had no idea. No idea. Um, because he lived his whole life being quote-unquote protected by the women around him from having like this very like natural beautiful thing discussed um, and he just honestly probably made it through life without ever knowing <laughs> you know I'm not giving him excuses it's totally inappropriate and like I, I feel you on that and I'm sure because you are visibly Muslim you get a lot of that from both sides you know, Muslim yep. and non-Muslim in different ways um, where I can kind of be spared um, sometimes because I live in the Southwest and I look very Hispanic. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I try to put some signifiers here and there. But I do appreciate you sharing um, like aspects of this because I think it's necessary to talk about and to learn about, um, especially that, you know you, you know, you women have it hard enough you know some people have like way worse periods than others um that i i do really appreciate the idea of a break you know it's like it's hard enough like this is like a divinely gifted break you know yeah. take advantage and be okay with it and it's just like from your story it's still possible to still be connected and i'm sure that and correct me if i'm wrong that there were times where um especially the way that we talk about like menstruating women in our religion that they're seen as less than or like you know impure and there's i'm sure that takes a toll no
2: yeah oh yeah for sure and and you you know like i said last 10 nights of ramadan like clockwork it comes and you're like like what does this say about my reach to god if mm. i cannot eat- put my forehead down in sujood in a in a way where i'm purified you know it it's confusing for sure but you how, know if it, how do you it's how confusing.
0: do you work around that like what's what's your like how do you how do you um what's the word sorry how do you how how do you reconcile that within mm-hmm. within yourself just if you don't mind just kind of going into that because i'm really curious
2: yeah for sure um well, as a writer, you know, writing, I write prayers down a lot. I'll write like my blah in like a journal entry. And it's really, really powerful. If no, if you have never done that before, I strongly, strongly encourage doing it because a lot of things surface. I have not. Oh, a lot of things will surface that you didn't even know about. Um, but I, you know, I, I'll like, I'll donate or I'll i will make the kid, man, the power of the could, you could do anywhere. You could do a sleeping, you could do in a car. It don't matter. You don't got to be pure. Or you don't got to be in the state of wudu. I don't like using the word pure, impure, but yeah. you don't got to be in the state of wudu. You don't got to. Um, and that could, is really something, man. Like, look at the 99 names of God straight up. And, and a lot of how we see ourselves does have to do with how we see God. If we are seeing the fact that I have not been able to praise Salat al and, and the 27th night of Ramadan as like this sinister punishment, what does that say about who I think God is, you know? And, and go back to yourself, go back to to your understanding of God, and you, you have to find alternatives. You know, mm. how Jab actually um, published this article, How to Do It, where they encourage women when it's time for salah, even if you can't pray, sit down and make five minutes of dhikr or sit down and make five minutes of dua. Like, continue with the ritual and the times because the timing is significant. Um, but don't just neglect it because that's also easy to do. I'm not going to pretend like. I don't chill and take full advantage of this time too. It's just like magic. I'm not going to pretend that. And I know us ladies do. We chillin, man. We don't gotta wake up for no. Hold. We don't gotta, like we chilling. And it's um. So we we also gotta like remember to take care. It's like uh, it's like rest day. I know people on their what rest day workout days they go to yoga or they'll do their like app workouts or they'll do their cardio or whatever.
1: And yeah
0: about the word no <laughs> again like this this very human approach to to all of this is very very um enlightening for somebody like myself because again i just never really had to deal with any of this i never had to deal with any of this um so i appreciate you sharing and just being vulnerable in that sense so how will it? how will so this interview is probably going to go a little bit longer than I thought, but I I, I do want to just ask you about your fondest or worst memories yeah. <laughs> growing up um, as a child for Ramadan. Like, did you enjoy fasting? Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy suhoor? Um, I've asked this to a lot of the people I've been interviewing, and I've gotten like really interesting um, examples. My my own. Is that it was fun, it was exciting, it was a challenge, you know, as a child. Um, yeah. But it also like made me different than people around me for sure. As an American like kid growing up, um, mm-hmm. what what are your earliest memories of Ramadan?
2: I right, I'm gonna. I'm going to first start with, like, when I was, like, a little girl, like, still, like, hitting puberty or whatever. All, all the boys and all the girls would be at the mesh And after week, we all got to, like, see each other. And, like, that was, <laughs> was like, a little one. That was the, that was so much fun. Yeah. It was, like this, like, this, like, spiritual romance that was always happening when you were 11 years old across the the meshed grounds, you know. Um, but that was, like, the goofball era. But I remember, I think I was 14 years old. I specifically remember the moment where I think my love for my faith came, and it was like 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, and it was it was the 27th night of Ramadan.
1: Oh wow! And
2: I remember being so young, and like my parents let you know, woke us up. We drove to the masjid, and like again, it's like two, three a.m., and the masjid is packed, it is packed, the sleepy police officers are like confused at like how to navigate this traffic and you know, cars spilling on every side of the streets into these neighborhoods all over the place. And like hundreds of people of every faith walking to the masjid at like three in the morning. And it was, and I remember as this like kid being in that room in that darkness and hearing grown men weeping. Mm. That is what I remember. I remember hearing fathers and uncles and ammos and men weeping. And being this kid and being like, Y'all, Allah, like, what is this? What is this? Like, who? No one I know, none of my friends in, in, in this public school, none of these people know what we're doing here. And it's like, we are. We are here by the hundreds, packed inside of a mosque at three in the morning. This like collective therapy session
1: mm. will spill
2: and spill all of our sorrows and our pain. And it just, I remember it moved me. And and I think ever since then, like just that experience, the, the tahajjud, um, the qiyam al-layl in the middle of the night. I think that's when I realized, like, damn, we really are the strangers. But I, I don't think I'd ever want to be anything else. And it was, it was I'm like getting teary-eyed, like. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can
0: was- see that. I can see that. Oh, wow. Like, I, it. This, this seems to mean a lot to you and that experience. Um, I, I like that. It's like we might be the strangers, but I, I'd, I, I'd re- I would rather not be anyone else right now. Um, and this is so. You were, you were like in your early teens like perhaps in in your tween years and and you're having all these experiences that sounds like really really powerful
1: massive yeah
0: yeah i i have my own versions of that you know growing up and because my first initial like huge ramadan experiences were in palestine and in palestine things closed down and there was a lot that happens there was one time um, and this is just, I think only Muslims will kind of understand this one, but it was the, one of the last days of Ramadan and we went to a very small masjid and it was a very small group. And because of that, they were going to be reading the last juz, the last few um, you know, surahs that most people know by heart. And it's not common for people to read out loud with the imam. It's not common for that to happen. It's not that's the Imam is the one reading the Quran, everybody else is, you know, listening. And yeah. and then we just kind of go, you know, and bow and prostrate with the Imam. But that particular day everyone <laughs> started reading along with like the the surahs and the Quran. And they're just like reading along and like it just continued. Like it didn't stop, there was no problems. He didn't like stop the prayer, and he's like, Nobody, nobody read with me, you know, it's not allowed. We just continued all the way through. Everybody's <laughs> reading all the small surahs together. Um, and by the end of it, they went up to the imam and they're like, Was that okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's and,
1: it, a good
0: point. and the imam <laughs> was just like, Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm then not- we just, and then we all just kind of like, you know, swo- swooped it under the rug and went home. But I remember it just like everybody was like in the mood um, and like really, really feeling it. Again, like this, the, my, the, the, the nuance of this story will not really be understood uh, except by people who've gone to Therawee. <laughs> oh my
2: um, God. What a trance though. Yeah. Hearing all those people at once, like a, like a collective hum. Yes,
0: wow. yes, especially that everyone knew it, and you know, I, I don't know if you have ever been to karaoke, and this is quite the pivot, but like, <laughs> but like when some of those songs come on, and even if one person is the one singing the song, everybody starts joining in, and you just feel yeah. like, yeah, nostalgia, you know, like,
1: yeah, um,
0: right. and so, but but that's, but honestly, I, I, you know, your story about your your childhood, when it comes to Ramadan, I have not heard one. So far in my interviews, like it, um, so I appreciate you sharing about that. I'm I'm curious, like, you know, as you grew up and you know you got into your college years, um, and now you are married and you know living with your husband. Um, what what has changed for Ramadan, like since those early days where it was like this, like almost ineffable you know, it, encounter and experience. What's happened now for you?
2: Mm, that's a really interesting question. Um, there's, we talked about mindfulness actually a little bit ago, and I, I think um, as I'm getting older, I mean, like I said, I'm 25. This is the year of the frontal lobe. Mm. This is the year of neuroplasticity, and I've been calling it that since the start. Um, I think there's this like profound self-awareness of every single moment that I am spending my time with. You know, and it's it's very interesting because, you know, there is a way into this faith where every single thing you do can be blessed, and that is with mindfulness. I am going to clean my kitchen for the sake of God. Like you can go so far. <laughs> oh, Allah. I'm
1: going to
2: wipe this counter. Allah. But, you know, and it's it's uh it's it's this mindfulness, it's this God consciousness. And, and I, I think mindfulness and God consciousness go hand in hand. Sure. And as I, as I've grown as an individual, you know, the spiritual path, it's, um, with or without Islamic terminology always is going to end up in the same place. It's universal wisdom, right? And being aware of what your limbs are doing and what your heart is doing and and where you should and should not go. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen the last few years where, mm before as like a kid, as like a, you know, probably 18, 19, I I could chill. I could watch a bunch of episodes of whatever and kill time.
1: Mm. This
2: phrase killing time. And as I'm getting older and like straight up, like 24 hit and like my knees started hurting and like my metabolism started slowing down, you know, and my, like you realize that time really is precious. And that has been the biggest impact where you are so aware. And also, Like, just this number one, the mindfulness of the time. Number two, I have gotten to know my soul very deeply in the many years. I have gotten to know the ugliest, dirtiest sides of my souls and, and, you know, the beautiful, most shiniest parts of my souls. And the devil is locked up during this month.
1: Mm.
0: I've heard this time and time again in my interviews, by the way.
2: Yeah. The devil is locked up. What does this mean about you? you know and and i have thoughts i have intrusive thoughts i got to fight those thoughts or really the fight is allowing them to be without judging them that's really the the big battle um there's wisdom in that but knowing what you're doing with your time and knowing truly who you are and and making decisions to change that mm. you know those are those are the biggest things i wasn't thinking quite that deeply when i was younger but yeah
0: i mean when i was younger i was just you know counting down the hours until you know it was time to eat and then later it was like especially when you're living alone or living away from your family it was like what does this actually mean to you and at some point like you know when I used to go to counseling and I was in a space where I could just say whatever I want about religion and, and practicing and I'm like I told her my counselor I'm like hey like I cannot fast if I want to but and I was just like struggling to explain to her why, why, why I do it, why I do it. And then she mm. looks at me and she just simply says, "Because it's important to you." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it's important to me." Um, and that's that's a big thing for me. And I, I think, you know, I'm not in, in not so many words. Um, it is important to me. And like as I grew up, I realized, especially as a as an adult. That this is this thing that I've carried since childhood, this yeah. tradition that continues on. I choose to go into every year. I choose to do it. I cannot, like you and I both can decide not to fast at, easily. Nobody would know. Who would know? Nobody would know. But I choose to do it every year because it's important to me, because I get so much out of it, because it's a challenge, because it's something that disrupts you know the routine disrupts the monotony the like the just allows me to stop and just think and i've never gone through ramadan and came out the other end except that some, i felt somewhat transformed mm-hmm. um that's my version of being like an adult going through ramadan but as we mentioned before like mental health is definitely something that comes up a lot that we don't discuss as much and i'm not just talking about fasting by the way i'm talking about prayer i'm talking Mm -hmm. about just the ability to continue to do a practice like regularly even when you don't want to i'm talking about situations that like for example i'm in a deep deep depression i can't even get out of my bed to brush my teeth to shower and and yet like I'm expected to get up and pray or do any sorts of you know spiritual and I I just can't so like the minimum amount of self-care I'm having a hard time with but I can't pray and on top of all that when I go to the masjid they're talking about how much prayer is important and if you can't do it then what separates you from the non-muslims which makes the depression way way worse and it's it's something that like I hope and I wish that our communities have a little bit more compassion about mm. and and a little bit more understanding. And it's just like, I feel like the same harshness and the same like unforgiving lack of compassion that these people received when they were younger or growing up about issues of prayer, they are now passing down and we need to disrupt this cycle. We need to disrupt this way of thinking. There are a lot of people out there that are trying their best, and I've always tried my best. Um and I don't need more shame than already exists within me. And so for me um fasting has another effect where it really takes away all the food and the sugar and the caffeine and all the you know the the escapes and the coping Um, and leaves me with me, just me. And I can escape into like TV and music and things like that, but still, like there's this gnawing feeling at the bottom that's just about me. And that's a very difficult place for somebody with anxiety and depression and and intrusive thoughts and obsession to exist in for a long period of time. In fact, sometimes I used to go to this meditation that was like an hour long, and it was torture. Because of the amount of negative thoughts that would come in during that time, uh you're in the middle of starting a project uh, focused on mental health for Muslim youth. Could you talk a little bit about that and maybe a little bit about if you don't mind your own experience with mental health during Ramadan?
2: Yeah, definitely um, there is this this concept that uh therapy taught me, and I had a, like a Muslim therapist, and I'd gone through many Wow. Many
0: Wow, you had the Muslim therapist?
2: I did. You, I are, like, you are brave. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. And it took me a long time to trust my therapist. So um, I get that whole journey. It was easier when it was like a white lady who was like, cool with whatever, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> and I, I'd made that conscious decision, but she taught me about this idea of radical self-love. Mm. And like for me, like the inner... The inner anti-conformist is like I hate the word self-love. I hate it. It sounds so cheesy. It sounds so overused. Like you know, I and I I struggled with it, but I don't know when I when I really learned to accept. I've been using this word so many, so much, but the demons that dwell inside of me, as I've learned to accept them and name them and give them rooms in the house, give them rules in the house. Um, I think that the self-loathing really went down because I dealt with a lot of self-loathing and the depression of not being able to get out of bed. It is so hard. The battle of fatigue kills me Mm. because I have like this hyper like like a capitalist inside me who just wants productivity, productivity all the time. And then this, this human being inside of me, that's just, my energy can be completely depleted because of just my emotional state of mind, my mental state of mind. And it's taken so much like self-reflection for this. Um, But I've had, I've had extreme experiences, you know, as a young girl, you know, there, you know, I guess I'll get vulnerable here, but as a young girl, man, I was making myself throw up. I was cutting my wrists. Mm. There were like, there was, there was deep pain for such a young kid. My earliest, earliest memory as a child was me feeling deep sadness as a three-year-old. Mm. I don't even know for what, but sadness is one of my oldest, oldest memories. Mm. And, um, so this, it's, it's like, what will you do with it? This, what, what, Will you hate yourself for this? And that the hating myself, I think, has always been my biggest difficulty during the spiritual month, you know, because there's no devil to blame anymore. It's just me. Um, so, yeah, getting down on myself and, and despairing, that was always one of the struggles. And, of course, the fatigue almost chaining me the way they say the devil does at fetish time. Right. So there was, it it was, it was difficult. And, you know, I graduated through therapy. That's a thing. I didn't know that until she's like, all right, let's do our, let's do our termination session. I was like, can we please rename that? Let's call let's call it the graduation or something. I like that. Um, Yeah. The, the healing capstone or whatever. I had a bunch of ideas for her, Um, but I had to walk away now again with me and all of the demons who don't pay rent, um and and learn learn to i guess radically love all of us you know so that's a journey but i i right now i'm working with an organization here in colorado called muslim youth for positive impact mm. beautiful organization and i mean they've got mentorship professional development they have like an adoptive family program where youth are connected with refugee families so these kids are teaching these individuals how to like acclimate to society but we've recently decided to launch the mental wellness program and for obvious reasons you know when i went to, to college downtown denver a couple blocks from where i lived at the coffee shop that i frequented there was a kid who jumped off a four-story building only oh. for us to find out a day later that we were praying his jenazah at the masjid you know wow the shooter at boulder just uh what was that like uh, two weeks ago mm-hmm. almost two weeks to the day um He, his name was Ahmed. He was from our community. He was a Syrian kid, man. And people Mm. dealt with bullying. And he dealt with this, this like deep pain that I know a lot of us feel, you know, and I, we always thought like at, at the organization, we were like, how, what if, what if we had something? That, you know, what, if he didn't, couldn't go to it himself, then his teachers could have sent him to it or his parents could have gone to it. Instead of feeling so much damn shame that by getting help, there's something wrong with you. This stigma is killing our families. It is killing our youth. It is killing our psyches. And it's, it is the great disease of the ummah right now. The shame. We are fighting. Our generations are at war with each other because we don't even have the ability to talk about the things that are hurting
1: us. Mm. And I'm
2: not going to say, I'm not going to demonize the elders. They got some deep rooted issues and the pressures that are on them are not ones that I would like to carry. You know, it's like you can almost crush beneath it. And it's like, we don't even know how to talk to each other. So there's, uh, how does this tie into the mental wellness program? overtaking well, a holistic approach it's not just going to be the youth it's going to be the elders it's going to be the families it's going to be we're having a, a training program for the shiuch. how do you say the right things how do you identify it instead of saying oh you just just go home and pray come on bro here's a little book of duas good luck
0: pray the dark, pray the darkness away
2: yeah man and it's like okay maybe that'll work for some people maybe I'm not going to discount that. There are studies that show that this this method works, mm-hmm. but we're not dealing with that right now. We're dealing with clinical issues. So we want to bring forth the the clinical knowledge, the, the artistic element. Absolutely. We're going to use writing because that's a lot easier to get into the clinical world when you use art. And we're going to bring the spiritual components and we're going to house them all in this place. And um, build a network that's one of the biggest tasks is to build our network i remember in colorado i was searching for a therapist and you know on psychology today you can select you know faith based or, yeah. or Muslims or whatever and i talked to this woman and i don't know how she managed to get that tag that she's worked with Muslims on her thing, because I'm sitting there, I'm like, look, I have lost dozens of family members in Syria. There's war there, you know, in my own circles, there's there's drug addiction, and there's this and we've seen rape and we've seen this and this and this. And she's like, wow, this is really interesting. I've never dealt with a Muslim before, but I'd be really excited to try this out with you. I was like, I am not your gerbil, Karen. <laughs> like this is not what we are trying to. That was the last thing I needed, and it—I it was like, my inner waitress came out, and I, I was like, all right, let me just entertain this lady and then never call her back.
1: Mm. And
2: uh, it was—it was awful, and it's like having the wrong therapist can damage you yeah i had one therapist like try to convince me that like i have like deep-seated issues with my mother that like have to do with some weird like just another one like diagnosed me with like borderline personality disorder within 10 minutes of talking to her for the first time just
0: like let's get through one session first you know before you (laughs)
2: before you try to give me some like antipsychotic drugs and stuff and yeah i it's just it's so wild so we need to create a place where it's easy for Muslims to find those resources in the first place it's it's
0: i mean it's tough i i i much props to you if that's if that's uh your goal because even when you say like a muslim space for muslims run by muslims to address these issues i i don't just inherently, just as a per, as a Muslim, I don't feel safe with that idea. Yeah, like, that. I'm sorry. Like, um, I know you know that because, like, you've also probably not felt. I see you nodding. That you haven't felt safe in Muslim spaces. Um, myself, like, I've had experience in 12 step, and I wonder what it would be like to have a 12 step like meeting at the masjid. Nobody would wow. show up. Nobody would show up because everybody wants to um, show up as if like everything's okay and everything perfect um and and so what kind of space would that look like where people can come up and say i've done this i suffer with this i struggle with this and not be you know immediately shamed that takes a lot of effort you know i've been in counseling for like eight to nine years now
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um and only recently have i started feeling like oh maybe i can actually start blogging and typing and writing and speaking about certain things and that are going to be connected to me yeah you know mm-hmm. only recently and it took all that time to do away and still i'm still hesitant but all that time to do away with this like idea that i need to hide who i am i need to have that kind of accept acceptance from my community like at my own expense at my the expense of my mental health. Thank you for being very vulnerable um, and talking about your own personal issues. And because of that, because I see from you um, a willingness to talk about your own issues and be vulnerable, I from that I can predict that this will be successful because Inshallah. a lot of times, and I've heard like chutbas where shuch are talking about other people who struggle and other people who suffer. And I just wish, I wish there was one time where somebody got on the khutbah and said, I struggle with this. And this is what I do for this. Um, I, I have actually given a khutbah once or twice in my communities. And I made it a thing every time. Uh, this is before COVID, slightly before COVID. Um, that every time I would stand on the minbar, that I would tell the community about something I've done in the past you know that does not cast good light on me like that was really important for me to do that and so i would do that because i just want these people to know that just because i'm standing up there it doesn't mean i'm perfect and i made it and it's always we and not you like we are like in this together and so because because i hear this from you i i really really see good things you know for you in this project going forward where even if you help one Muslim child or one Muslim youth going through this, it would have been successful. But Absolutely. I, but it doesn't seem like you're naive. You know what you're dealing with. <laughs>
2: yeah, We had to tell the grant funders, we're like, look, we need this money, but we have no guarantees. It's like the sighting of the moon. We don't know if Ramadan is going to be on this day or this day. I don't know. But, you know, just be ready for either, either one. Yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, they're ready and they're aware and destigmatizing takes work and actually what you said um they have done studies that show one of the greatest ways to destigmatize mental health in a muslim community is through exposure bring someone who has gone through it and tell their story you know and and it has very powerful impacts and um inshallah best to all our communities and
0: yeah to you as well and to to your project um, Emma thank you so much for joining me here today we're kind of reaching the end of our episode here but I'm curious if there's anything you can leave us with Um it doesn't even have to be silver lining or positive but whatever you know at the end of this a PS that you'd like to leave us with
2: yeah there is one thing and I there have been times where in the midst of my own like shenanigans and struggles, I did not sleep the entire night, but I managed to get that last third of the night. And I'm, I'm going to get spiritual here for a second. There's this belief that God descends down to the very first heaven. And, and that like force, that is a very powerful force. And if you really believe that if there's something you need, whether you stay up all night to get to that last third, or you wake up in the middle of the night, it is private, mm. and honor that privacy with your Lord. And and um, there there are spiritual implications outside of the Islamic tradition about this hour. You know, the darkest before the dawn. There there's something there, and. I, I encourage everyone, like, if, if you can do it even, like, one, one time during the whole month and just wake up and just, like, talk to God. I, I don't know. Why. There's something powerful there. There's really something powerful there. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, I always like to think that it's, like, the angels trying to get me up. Because this is war work. That when you do good work, you are doing the work of wars. And this is heavy this, this is a heavy, heavy thing. And um, I think there should be a place where we just un, unload it, mm. spill it. Up. And uh, I, really, I really think that the last third of the night is sacred, more sacred than any other time in the entire 24-hour structure. So um, I hope if you're looking for solace, maybe try there if you haven't already. Yeah,
0: thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Amal. Um, um, I appreciate your time and your vulnerability and you being raw here with me today. I'm glad that we got a chance to talk. I mean, for me, like I feel like I have a new friend. And I hope that we can collaborate in the future on a lot of these different issues because it seems that you're very well tuned with um, so many important issues that are going to be um relevant going forward especially in these new generations um it's uh we need people to be vulnerable and instill a positive idea going forward a positive notion going forward so thanks again and uh i (laughs) hope you have a good and blessed ramadan going forward and i think with that um i will this is ihab with amrikis on the ramadan mini series and amal qasir um th- w- wishing you a blessed uh, healthy ramadan yallah ma salam
2: Ma <laughs>